0: Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. We are a multi-generational community of grace on mission, and you are always invited to join us online or in person. Learn more about us at sevenriversvillages.org. Okay, so we're going to be looking at Psalm 84. Um, this is a psalm uh, written largely about the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and uh, so it's people who are going into the presence of God, going up to Jerusalem um, to worship, and as we go through, you can keep that in mind, but it's also uh, talking about a greater pilgrimage, a greater journey, and one that we will all take someday, one day, into the presence of Jesus, those of us who believe and trust in him. So, in honor of God and his word, let me invite you to stand as we look together at Psalm 84. In whose heart are the highways to Zion? As they go to the valley of Bacchah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Thus ends the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Probably shouldn't hold that upside down, I'm going to spill water. (laughs) There, stay there. Okay, so um, boredom, burnout, and abandonment in my years of ministry i have uh, encountered a lot of people who struggle with boredom burnout or even abandonment and i think the reason that we struggle with boredom and burnout and abandonment is because jesus just in case or jesus just enough just doesn't have any real appeal for us the language of just in case or just enough is really The language of somebody who is morally, religiously, ceremonially centered. That's what Christianity is all all about. And I've encountered that for years, Is for many people, at the center of of Christianity is religion. And what that means is it's all about keeping the rules. It's all about showing up. It's all about making sure that when people see you, they say, that's a person who keeps the rules. That's a person who's here. That's a person who's doing all the things they're supposed to be doing. And the way that Jesus fits in this is Jesus is on the periphery. He's on the exterior, and his job is to, if you start getting out of line with the morals and start heading to the side, Jesus forgives you, and he kicks you right back to the middle and says, go back and start doing this. I forgive you, but start doing the morals, start doing the laws, start doing the ceremonies, start doing the religion. Right? That's the way we think about it. So Jesus, in that way, is, is a little bit like on the rails on a bowling alley. If you're not a very good bowler like me, you want to put up those rails and make sure the ball's not going to go into the gutter. You know, You do that just in case. And that way Jesus is a little bit like just in case for our moral centrality. But the gospel is, says, your rules don't make you right with God. Only Jesus makes you right with God. And Jesus is not there on the sidelines to move you back to morality and back towards law. The law and morality is there to move you back towards Jesus and back to the centrality of having him in your life. So when we look at the laws and see Jesus in the middle, when we start becoming legalistic, Jesus says, nope, You've got plenty of sin. Have you really paid attention to the law? And if you go to the law, the law is going to push you right back to Jesus. And then, at the same time, if you are moving away from Jesus and becoming involved with maybe some kind of behavior you ought not to be doing, the law points this out and says, there are things in your life that you're holding on to besides Jesus, and the law pushes you right back to Jesus. So Jesus is at the center. And I think this is why many of us get burned out or we become bored or we just abandon Christianity altogether. is because the rules and ceremonies and rituals, all of these things are right at the center for us. And we find that we can't do those things very well. I was in a conversation with somebody this week where that became very apparent. It's not anybody in this room, so don't look around. and That person looks guilty. Um, so it's somebody else who's not in here. And uh, in the conversation, this person was saying, you, people talk about Jesus all the time. But if, you don't, if you're not doing the things you're supposed to be doing, and so as we talked... I realized, and I told this person, I said, you have no assurance whatsoever of God's love. You have no assurance of your forgiveness whatsoever. You have no assurance because you're not trusting Jesus. You're trusting in your own works. And where that leads uh, for her is calling out everybody who's not doing the works that she's doing. Right? Constantly calling out all the other people who, aren't, who don't have rules at the center. Okay. A couple of years ago, I heard a story. I read a story about a guy who was in seminary. I can't remember if I shared this story or not. Um, Do I tell that one? No, I'll talk about me instead. Would that be better? Can we talk about me? Because it's a similar kind of story. So Rebecca and I were doing campus ministry down in Mississippi. And and we went to Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando one day. And they decided they were going to give us this outstanding discount on books. And so these were all like young seminarians, young theologians. And so they're going, we hit the jackpot. We can get as many books as we can for a little bit of price. And so I'm in the middle of this bookstore looking at all of these Christian works, classics. Some of them, people are like just going, oh, my goodness, I can't believe we can get this for this price. And I'm in the middle of this bookstore surrounded by Christian heritage, Christian doctrine, Christian beliefs. And I had no desire whatsoever to buy any books. And the reason is that somehow in the midst of doing campus ministry and being with students and thinking about what God had called me to do, that became the center for me, is all the stuff that Jesus had called me to do. And so I was getting burned out on doing all the Christian stuff. Instead of of my life flowing from Jesus, all of a sudden Jesus was replaced by all the stuff I was doing for Jesus. And there was no joy, there was no zeal, there was no excitement. Does that make sense? Okay. When we come to this passage, Psalm 84 is not the language of boredom or burnout or abandonment. It's not the language of just in case Jesus or the language of just enough Jesus. It's the language of Jesus just because. Jesus just because. It's the language of just because It's beautiful and you love it. You make room, you make time, you do it because it gives you the deepest pleasure, it gives you the greatest rewards. The psalmist has arrived at the answer to the question of of where contentment and satisfaction and peace and joy and life and rest, all of these things come from. This is a heart of someone who truly knows God and the psalmist sees something here that I think that we need to see is that faith was never about just in case faith was always about just because the lord god this god who loves us the lord god that's what it's about so this morning we're going to talk about the presence of the lord the delight in the lord and the blessing of the lord because that's what psalm 84 talks about so the presence of the lord what's psalm 84 about well the the psalmist begins this way how lovely is your dwelling place O lord of hosts now in our minds, and I know that I used to do this too, in our minds we might think that he means going to church on a Sunday morning. Which, you know, as, wonder, as wonderful as you might think Seven Rivers Villages Church is, churches, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about going to hear Stephen uh, talk about stories about his life. But the psalm is not really about going to church or to a religious facility, even if it's ornately decorated and it's very beautiful architecturally. It's really about meeting with God. It's really about being with God, because it's your dwelling place. So it's an object lesson on standing in the presence of the Lord. So when Psalm 84 was written, in the Old Testament, the temple was the one place on the planet where God was said to dwell uniquely with his people. There was something unique about the Old Testament temple. So in the Old Testament temple, that's where the Ark of the Covenant, that Indiana Jones got, not in real life, but in the movie, but, but it's the Ark of the Covenant where that, dwell, that represented the throne of God on earth. It was there in the temple. And inside of something called the Holy of Holies, this tent structure that was set up and only one person could go once a year. And he went in carrying the sins of people and presented them before the God. And then he would emerge saying that all of our sins had been paid for. We couldn't go in, but somebody would go in on our behalf. And it was the place where the sacrifices were offered for the sins of the people to say that our sins would be taken off of us and put onto another, and that person would bear our sins to the point of death. And so what the, what the uh, temple structure was supposed to be doing was showing us uh, what it meant to relate to God and being with God. So the tabernacle was the place on the earth where God dwelt, and they saw pictures of who God was. So when you were in that place... It drew your heart forward to see truths about God in a way that, if you weren't there, you wouldn't experience. So, the tabernacle, the temple, was not a place that just in and of itself. He's talking about. He's saying this is the place where God dwells in a unique way with His people, and I want to be there in that place because it's connected to Him. Now you know what that's like, right? You have a place. You have places like that in your mind where that's the place where sentimentally and emotionally and maybe even spiritually I feel attached to. Rebecca's family had a mountain house up in the mountains of North Carolina. And that's when I was thinking about how you become attached to a place, it was that place. Because we had memories of family that were there. It was was all about family. Uh, It was a place where we had taken a lot of our students to to have retreats. And so it was a place of spirituality, a place of growth. It was a place of laughter. It was a place of retreat where we could rest. And so all of these things were attached to the place. What's that place for you? If you can understand, if you, if you have a place like that, you can understand a little bit about what he's talking about here. How lovely is your dwelling place because he is there. And because he's there, it's where the, they wanted to go to delight in the Lord. So Psalm 84 is not the language of just in case or morals or morality. It's the language of love. It's the language of just because. Listen to this in verse 2. He says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Or verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I was reflecting on that just a little bit as I was putting this together. Um, a day with the Lord uh, has, uh, in the Lord's courts brings more blessings compressed in that short time than if you spent a 1,000 days anywhere else. 24 hours in the presence of God in that place, he says, is better than 24,000 hours spent elsewhere. I had the image in my mind of an old panhandler or somebody like in the gold rush, He's got this little river, and he's trying to collect as much gold as he can, right? And maybe over a period of of five years, he has just maybe found one or two nuggets. What he's saying here is in 24 hours, you have a treasure trove in the presence of who God is. One day here in the presence of God has more grace, beauty, joy, fun, pleasure, meaning, significance, delight, and love than a thousand anywhere else, all compressed into that time period, in the presence of God. And people who know God know this to be true. Okay, there's a, in your handout, I had a, a quote from Jonathan Edwards. I think we're going to have it on the screen in front of us. Listen to this. This is Jonathan Edwards. He's one of the, the most well-known theologians, one of the most intelligent scholars who's ever lived in American history. He was a Christian. Um, he's writing in the 1700s. And he's, here he's speaking theologically, but he's speaking experientially, saying, I've experienced this. Listen to what he's saying. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. He's telling us this is what faith is all about it's not about doing all the stuff it's about knowing him communing with him being in intimate fellowship with him faith in jesus is about the glory of the lord the love of the father the grace of the son and the comfort of the spirit And we see this in the psalm as those who are in the presence of god he says in verse 4 they are ever praising god uh, they're so delighted to be there with him and they experience such joy in his presence that they never stop. This is not just commanded. This is something they're saying, no, I want to be doing this. And as you begin to think about people who never stop, they, they, they're seeing things, experiencing things, and they don't want it to stop. And every time something new comes up, they cheer or they do that ooing sound we do in their fireworks. You know, we were watching the fireworks display over here a couple of, uh, was it, a month and a half ago that took place. And it's funny because when the fireworks go up, the, collectively the, the crowd goes, ooh. And then they go, I uh, See, you all know we it's just ingrained. We know exactly what's going on. But that's what he's talking about, is we see something, and it's just explosion after explosion in the clouds. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And it draws forth and elicits this praise and adoration from us. But after a while, even when it comes to, like, a, a fireworks display, you know, it's like they, they, they do the, the midway finale, and they all go up. It's like, is that the end? Oh, no, it's still going. And then they, they, sh- they shoot up the one firework. and goes, phew. And you're like, I've seen better than that. Well, imagine this. Imagine, you know, it starts in the heavens with this uh, fireworks. And then there's a spectacular sunrise and the whole thing uh, goes to the horizon. Then maybe a whale cresting the surface. Then a dazzling birthday cake. And then a hot air balloon. And then an elephant. And then a locomotive. And all of these things. Remember as a child, there was childlike wonder in all of these things. In the presence of God, you're brought back to that childlike wonder of seeing his glory, seeing his majesty, and being drawn to that and saying, I want to be with this God always because of who he is. You know, and and the Old Testament says his mercies are new every morning. It's not just his mercies. It's everything. His mercies are new, but his glory, his majesty, his love, they're all his grace is new every morning. And so they ever sing his praise. And those who are not with God in Jerusalem yet, who are on the pilgrimage, uh, it's kind of an interesting phrase. He says their hearts are the highways uh, to Zion. I'm saying their hearts are set on pilgrimage. I want to get on the road. I want to get there right now. I want to be there with him. You know, it's, it's because they know that when we get into the presence of God, there's something uniquely wonderful about being there in the temple And with with the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant and seeing this and it captivating their hearts. So they want to get there as quickly as they possibly can. And so they're doing that. They want to get there. Because there's joy and happiness in the presence of the Lord. And it says this in verse 11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk in faith. It's fascinating. I was thinking about that a little bit. Because that's not the way I feel and that's not what I've been taught. And maybe you culturally feel that way too. Is It's not how you feel. It's not what you've been taught. Maybe what you feel and what you've been taught is that uh, God withholds good things from us. And the reason we have that in our culture, we, the reason we have that in our hearts is because that was said at the very first in, in Genesis 3. Is Satan said, did God really say this? God's holding back. Because he knows if you eat of it, good things are going to happen. that's ingrained in us that's the sin at the beginning of all sins that lie that's buried in our hearts so this is why he says in the very last verse in verse 12 he talks about trusting Uh, blessed is the one who trusts in you now culturally what we say is you know if it's if it's not harmful why is it wrong if it's not harmful why is it wrong and the reason it's wrong is because it moves us away for the reason we were created Before there was time, before there was space, energy, matter, mathematics, language, DNA, cells, atmospheres, gravitational forces, planets, galaxies, molecules, water, biological life, plants, animals, people, there was just God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, a triune God, a happy triune God, a joyful triune God, a content triune God, a generous, sharing, benevolent triune God, A triune God who delighted to share himself among the persons of the Trinity and to share himself, his glory, his happiness, and his love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then that was too good not to share. So he created us to be able to enter into that, beings who could experience that kind of joy in the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He invited us to share in the happiness and the joy and the laughter, the love, the peace, the joy. And here's what this means for us. Anything that does not flow from this reality is destructive and harmful to people in this reality because that's what God made us for. And when we're not living for what God made us to do, is to enter into that joy of, his, of who he is, um, then that's going to harm us. We were created for our whole being to be drawn into the love of God and to live outwardly from that love. And if we don't, we're living for something else and that diminishes us and harms us who God made us to be. If we're not directing people to the love of God, and that's what we're made for, then we're doing harm to other people. If we try to persuade people that they don't need God, then we are doing harm to them. If we join in the cultural belief system that says that God is one of the many choices and he's not the main choice, you can just choose whatever you want, but God is unnecessary, then we're doing harm to other people. God created us to enter into his joy. He talks here, he says three times that God created us to enter into the blessing of the Lord. Those who are in his presence, they're blessed. Those who are on pilgrimage, they're blessed. And at the end, anyone who trusts in the Lord, that person is blessed as well. He created us to enter into his blessed. Now, we talked about this a few times as we've done psalms. Psalms, the word blessed means largely happy. Remember that? Happy. And so it means that God has done something to make us happy. And when we're not looking to him for that, we're looking to something else. But the reality is we're not happy. This is from, uh, I think he's a a Swedish writer. He wrote a book called Anxious People, Frederick Bachman. He said, the truth, of course, is that if people were really were as happy as they look on the internet, they wouldn't spend so much time on the internet. Because no one who's having a really good day spends half of it taking pictures of themselves. Anyone can nurture a myth about their life if they have enough manure, so if the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence, that's probably because it's full of poop. And, you know, I can feel that. I can feel that in myself, that lack of happiness, and that constantly looking at the pictures I see, and I look at people who have abs, and I look at all kinds of things, and I'm thinking, if I had that, I would be happy. I would be complete. But I know biblically it's not true. And that's why when I come to a passage like this, it's like God shaking me and saying, wake up, get your hand out of the jar holding the fruit, be free of that, and see where true joy and happiness come from. So he says, blessed, happy are those, verses 4 and 5, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And he says in verse 11 that he bestows favor and honor. Now, favor is that one of my favorite words in Scripture. Um, and here he says he bestows it. Not that you earn it, but he bestows it. It's grace. He's giving us grace. God gives to those who deserve punishment. He gives good to those who deserve punishment. And he gives abundance to people who expect little. Because he's that generous. And the Lord blesses not, those, not just those currently in the sanctuary, he blesses those who are on their way to the sanctuary. They're on pilgrimage. And he blesses not simply those who are, you know, maybe Jewish and on their way. But as you look through this passage, he's saying it's, it's really anybody because being in the presence of God is so good and it's God's desire for people of every tribe and tongue and language and people group to come into his presence and experience that, that that's what he's hinting at. In fact, one of the things I love about this is the hidden reference to Christ. It's not so hidden here where he talks about uh, the, um, the shield, verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, the Messiah. It's the Christ. He's, the king here, the anointed, was probably when it was originally written, a reference to the king at that point, whose job was to protect people along the highway as they came to Jerusalem for p- pilgrimage. That's just part of his job. Here, as we look at it a little further for what God's, God's an, anticipating, what God's going to do later, it's a reference to Jesus. Protecting us and shepherding us so that we enter into the presence of God, into the place. The place, we call it heaven, but into the place. A place where with God, in God, in his presence, where God is, where I'm better being with him. I'm better being with him than I am being anywhere else. I'm happier with him, my mind is right, my heart is engaged. My desires are wholesome. My cares melt away. Hope is restored. My relations are improved. I am my best me when I am with him. I feel loved. I feel accepted. I feel happy, full, joy, peace. I feel I matter. I feel my life matters. I'm at home. I'm with him. And I know that no matter what I've done, there's forgiveness for me there. So what does this mean for us? Right? Thinking about this, where do we find ourselves in this passage? Well, we're, we're really the people on, uh, on pilgrimage. Right? For us, you know, I've know some of you have taken a trip to Jerusalem before and it's life-changing. And I, I get that. But you didn't see the Shekinah glory cloud. You didn't see the Ark of the Covenant. You didn't see the sacrifices. You didn't see any of those things. But you saw Jerusalem. It's historically pretty cool. But that's not what he's talking about for us. He's talking about the heavenly tabernacle. Listen to this from Revelation 21. It says, God and the lamb are the temple. God and the lamb are the temple. We're pilgrims. We're heading there. This is from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. He says, for Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, human temples, which are copies of the true temple, Things, but he's entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus is the one that the Old Testament was just a copy of. The Old Testament temple is a copy of Jesus. He's the priest who went into the Holy of Holies where we could not go to offer sacrifices for our sins and to be in the presence, the throne room of the very God of the universe, and to come back out and say, All is forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's awesome. And he says, That's where we're headed. The Old Testament was just a copy; it was a facsimile; it was a simulation. Okay, I'm being real intense, so let me back off a little bit. Okay, so I was uh, I was uh, um, watching something online. Happy people on the internet, right? So, um, watching something online, and there's a there's a video of a dad, and uh, he's. He's got a video screen in front of his kids, and he has Splash Mountain on it, like a a point of view thing where it's like the front of the the ride. And he's got his kids, it's like toddlers, they're too young to ride as a baby, and then like maybe a 2 or three-year-old. And he's got the baby carrier, and he's got them tucked away in that. And so as the screen's going, the dad is moving it in sync with the ride, and he's spraying water on the kids because they can't ride on Splash Mountain, right? They're too little. So he's giving them the Splash Mountain experience without them actually being on the ride. What do you think the Old Testament temple is. It's a splash. That's not the reality. It's a copy. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. Only Jesus could do that. He's central in this for us. And what he's saying is that's where we are headed. What God has in store for us is better, better than what we have here. So we can be pilgrims and go into the presence of God and say, that's where my life is. It's with him will always be with him. I'm not there yet, but what's coming is better. Martin Luther said this. He said, if you knew what you were saved from, you would die of fear. But if you knew what you were saved for, you would die of joy. That's fantastic. But we can't see it. We can't picture it yet. It's hard to know what's in store. So uh, my wife... My wife, when she was in college, uh, she was more of a concert goer than I was. So we were recounting all the concerts she's been to last night and trying to figure out where this story happened. So I'm just going to make it the Paul Simon concert. So just so, so she got to see uh, Paul Simon uh, years ago, and uh, when she went, she went with a group of, of people and her like friends, and uh, one of them was he who must not be named. Um, he <laughs> had the ex-boyfriend. And uh, so they had tickets, and Rebecca had ordered her ticket separately, I guess. And so she had a ticket in another spot where nobody else was. And it was a little bit closer. You know, it's one of those things where it's a big stadium, and it's a big-name concert. And so uh, so she's looking at her tickets like, I don't want to go sit by myself. And so he who must not be named said, I'll sit there. And Rebecca's friends were like, no, that's a better ticket. That's a better ticket. Let her have it. And so he got frustrated, and but they eventually talked her into it. She's like... She was scared a little bit because I'm gonna to have to leave all of my friends and go down here with people I don't know. And I don't, that feels weird. And I am feel a little bit unsafe doing that. But she got her ticket. And so all of her friends are watching us. She goes where, you know, up in the nosebleeds where they are. She makes her way down the walkway, goes down to the stairs, and she stops by an attendant and points to the, like, where, where's this seat? And everybody saw him point down lower. So She's just like, okay. So they, they're watching her descend these steps, and she's getting closer. And she gets to the next platform. And then she's pointing to the attendant and it's like, where's the. And he, he points down lower. And so she walks all the way to where she's basically on the floor at this Paul Simon concert, right? And I think that was like the Rhythm of the Saints or something like that, you know, the, the drums and everything. And uh, it's kind of like if she had known before she started where she was going, she'd be like, I wouldn't have offered this to anybody. I'm going, <laughs> right? But we don't know. We don't know. We haven't seen it. C.S. Lewis says this. He he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We've been given something great. We just can't see it yet. Father Jay Boudreaux wrote a book called the happiness of heaven. It was published in 1871. And he tells of a kind, kind-hearted king who was out hunting in the forest one day and he came across a blind destitute orphan boy. Well, the king took compassion on him and he adopted this young man into his family, made him a prince, and he provided for his care, and he saw that the boy had the finest education. He took care of him, and the boy was extremely grateful. But in the household, you know, he had, he had some experience of the king, but not all the experience of the king. But when the boy turned 20, a surgeon performed an operation on his eyes, and for the first time, he was able to see. Now, the boy, once a starving orphan, he'd been in the palace. He'd been adopted. He had, been, he had experienced the love of the king, but something wonderful happened. Boudreaux says that something far greater than the magnificent food, gardens, libraries, music, In the wonders of the palace, the the boy was finally able to see the father who loved him. And this is what Boudreaux writes. I will not attempt to describe the joys that will overwhelm the soul of this fortunate young man when he first sees that king of whose manly beauty, goodness, power, and magnificence he has heard so much. Nor will I attempt to describe the other joys which fill his soul when he beholds his own personal beauty and the magnificence of his princely garments, whereof he had also heard so much heretofore, which is a great word, heretofore. Much less will I attempt to picture his exquisite and unspeakable happiness when he sees himself adopted into the royal family, honored and loved by all, together with all the pleasure of life within his reach. All this taken together is a beatific vision for him, as it will be for us. We see now with eyes of faith. We will see then with eyes of flesh. We will be there in the presence of God. And all the things that we've read about, all the things that we've heard about, we will see with our own eyes. And we will join with the saints who forever worship and praise because it's it's a firework, it's a sun sunrise, it's a sunset, it's a whale cresting, it's a birthday cake. It's all the things that fascinated us as kids we'll be fascinated once again because we'll see them in the presence of our God. So what he means here is we're pilgrims. We're not there yet. And so pilgrims face hardship on the road. We face hardship. That doesn't mean that God's not good. It just means we're pilgrims. Uh, Pilgrims have to leave stuff behind. That doesn't mean that God's not good. It just means that we're pilgrims. And to go to him means that sometimes we have to take our hands out of the jars and leave those things behind. We're pilgrims. That means that sometimes we have to make necessary changes in our lives so that we can walk and march and go where God is calling us to go. Because he's good and better as one day in his court than a thousand, a million elsewhere. Let's pray. Yeah, I felt uh, bored sometimes with you. Forgive me for being so blind. I have felt burned out at times. Forgive me for being so self-absorbed and focused on what I'm doing rather than on what you have done. And there have been times when I've been tempted to abandon because I've been enticed by other things. How stupid have I been? I pray, we pray, that you would give us such a vision of who you are that we would never, ever be tempted to be bored or burned out or abandoned. Instead, we would go from strength to strength, just like this psalm talks about. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We pray that you would give us that joy, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we respond? Thank you for joining us on this podcast, a production of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. Learn more at sevenriversvillages.org.